Next artist, this is Zoe Ann from Dallas, Texas, another homegrown artist. Next we have Shadow of a Man by Good Literature out of Missouri. These guys are cool. One cold 
question I always ask and I never get the answer I need How can you lose it all because of temptation, whiskey or some speed The heartache I've collected and the lives I've thrashed We blame them all on that Just by being me, the someone I can't change. Bendel Tame is the someone inside of me. Someone that looks like me, loves like me, cries like me, and dies inside like me. Same look, same face, but with a soul. Pain has replaced. I'm the someone I don't understand. Shadow of a man The little ones they won't understand Even when they're grown That's just what we say To make it easier To go on Boxes in the hallway you haul in the drive, make it pretty clear you've made up your damn mind. Someone that looks like me, loves like me, cries like me, and dies inside like me. Same look, same face, with a soul. Pain has replaced. Now there's someone I don't understand. Turns out to be me in the shadow. Next, we have Dennis Cox coming right up. Hi, this is Jeff Overture from WTFRadio.me. Today, I got with me uh, Grandmaster Dennis Cox. He was my instructor in karate. I've known Dennis since uh, 1971. And uh, Dennis, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, I uh, graduated from high school in Kenton High School. I went into the military served in the Air Force for five and a half years, was honorably discharged, 
And I got involved in karate when I first moved to Dallas after getting out of the military. And I was being trained by my brother, Ronnie Cox. And I was living in an apartment with a, another individual named Skipper Mullins, who at the time was a lightweight world champion. So I started karate initially as a hobby, and then it developed into a career, and I was teaching karate all the way through college for extra money and fighting professionally. I can remember those days. I met you, I guess it was over at uh, Garland Road, or was it Hillcrest when I first met you, Texas Karate Institute? I think I first met you at Garland Road, and then uh, from there uh, over in Richardson on Court Arapahoe. Right. Well, that, that school came up a couple years later. I was talking about when I was in Orange Belt. Wow, I, did, I forgot how long it had been. Yes, I went to, after Garland Road, I went to uh, Royal Lane and was teaching over there with my brother, I mean Hillcrest, and was teaching there. And then from Hillcrest, uh, when uh, Alan Steen opened the Richardson School, I went to the Richardson School as the head instructor. I remember that. That was uh, I was a brown belt then. That was me, you, David Archer, Lester Langdon, I believe, in that new school up there in Richardson. Yes, and Barry Gimbelow was the manager at that particular time. Right, right. I remember that. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, the other day we went to a – you got your grandmaster, seventh-degree black belt, uh, under Roy Kerbin, and uh, that was quite an event. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, Uh after the years of training and teaching, I taught all the uh, black belt one steps for the American Karate Black Belt Association or school in uh, Arlington. I've also taught classes over there and been uh, connected to Roy Kerbin almost my entire karate career, really my entire karate career. Roy is an eighth degree black belt, and uh, so Roy promoted me to seventh dan uh, last Saturday, I had uh, a lot of friends and relatives there. There were two individuals, the Joneses, that was testing for fifth degree black, and I sat on that board for that examination as well. Yeah, that was quite an exam. Uh, that was pretty amazing about uh, Mr. Jones when he uh, tore his hamstring and kept doing the belt exam. That's just good proof how strong-minded people in karate really are. Well, you know... It, just in uh, the incident with Mr. Jones that really severely hurt his leg during the exam, I've had a lot of individuals, even karate individuals, talk about, well, how does karate really help you in self-defense? Well, you know, it helps you in different ways. One is obviously you know how to punch and kick and block, but the other is to realize that an injury doesn't stop you from being able to defend yourself and from carrying on the fight. A lot of individuals that have had no training in martial arts or boxing or any other type of physical contact such as that, if they got their nose broke or their leg hurt or something like that, mentally they would already be defeated. If you're mentally defeated, then you're physically defeated. And karate is just a, that is an example of suffering an injury and not letting it stop you continuing the fight. That's a fact, because when you get injured, that doesn't mean the other guy's going to stop beating on you. <laughs> that is correct. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, uh, I, I can remember you met your – we have quite a long history together. I mean, you have outlasted my my brother, my mother, my stepsister. Let's see, uh, my dog Jethro. Uh, <laughs> I just can't – you know, it's like the relationships in martial arts seem to be 
much more long-lasting than relationships with your family, with your friends or coworkers, and it just seems like it's on and on. It lasts forever. You know, actually, I was thinking about that over the weekend. Uh, friends of mine came there to uh, see me presented with a Seventh Dan black belt, and I and I was thinking exactly what you were saying. I think back of the different jobs I've had since I was in the military and got out of the military. And most of those individuals I rarely have contact with. But the, once you make uh, contact with your, what I call the karate family, that seems to be a, a lifetime of friends. You may not see them often, but if something happens, you need help, or when you go to a tournament, it's just like a, a, a brother relationship. You just, there's a bond there that I haven't experienced in any other work or even most people they don't really know their neighbors so it is a friendship that's lasting forever and you you help those individuals when you find out they need assistance and and they'll help you and you know you can always depend on your karate friends well that's a fact uh well personally you know i had a bout with cancer a year and a half ago and you took me to the hospital and you came visit me in the hospital you hate to take care of my dogs and my condominium and uh, I've seen you do the same thing with other people. You yourself, you're a cancer survivor. And uh, so I saw you go through the same thing. It's kind of like, you know, your relationships in karate seem to be just as strong, if not stronger, as your relationships with your own family sometimes. Well, you know, I, I think part of that is the, just the training and the discipline. Everybody uh, that goes through the karate training and comes up through the rank, they, they know what kind of effort and work, and it's that combination of effort and work where you're coming up through the ranks with friends, or in, in my case, students as well. Uh, it's just an unbelievable bond. I know uh, about a year ago, I had a karate student contact me. She now lives out in California, and I hadn't seen her since she was a child. But when uh, she came to Texas and I saw her, it was just like we had never ever been apart it was like that 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 bond was still there and that friendship and respect was still there you're talking about danielle yes oh yeah she's something else isn't she yes she is she was a good uh she was a great person and a good martial artist i think a lot of that uh martial arts uh bonding you're talking about has to go through also has to be considered about the suffering that we go through I mean, it's kind of like when somebody's in class and they spar somebody and they get hurt you'll hear a snicker from all of your friends because they can relate to the pain or the injury or something that just happened. Well, anybody that's trained in karate knows that, that part of it is, is learning how to deal with uh, pain because you're going to get bruises and bumps and broken bones. I know I've had my jaw broken in three places, uh, broke my hand, had different toes uh, jammed and uh, ribs broken, and it just it just comes with the turf. It's not... It's not as uh, difficult anymore because now they have the safety gear, so you don't have the what we call the blood and guts karate, where the philosophy back when I was fighting was kill the body and the head will die. That's true. The hand gear did take away a lot of those broken ribs. It does protect the ribs a little bit, that's for sure. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, uh, I noticed that you saw uh, uh, well, one of the guys that we worked out together with when I was a brown belt was uh, – uh, David Bradley, that's his actor name. Brad Simpson's his real name. I haven't seen him in quite a while. I thought that was something else. Well, Brad has moved back to Arlington. He was actually training under me 
uh, at the Richardson School when he was in high school in Richardson. He always wanted to be in acting, and he also wanted to play a guitar and sing. And he, he, I know from the time I met him, and I think he was like 12 or 13 years old when I first started training him, or maybe 14. And uh, he moved to California right after high school, got involved in acting. He was in the American Ninja 3, 4, and 5, and he's been in a couple other movies. And he moved back to Arlington, and uh, we made contact. We have lunch together, and although both of us have aged, it's still that, that uh, respect that you have between the student and the instructor, uh, which, you know, that's part of the discipline of karate and the respect. And uh, Hang on one second here. Let's yes. take a little break. We'll come right back, okay? Oops. This is Bad Boy by Alexis Lasseter from Minnesota.
Okay, I'm back. This is Jeff Overturf. I'm with my instructor, uh, Dennis Cox, Grandmaster. Just got it this last uh, weekend. And uh, Dennis and I, we were talking a little bit about relationships and karate. And one of the things that he brought up was about how the many different types of people that actually do karate. You want to say something about that, Dennis? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about it. I was reminded uh, several years ago, I had an individual that signed up. His, His first name was Dale. And I noticed Dale walking back and forth in front of the school for several weeks. And one day I went out and approached him. He was intimidated about coming in because I think uh, a misunderstanding of karate, a lot of people are intimidated about even going into a school and inquiring. And I think what uh, people need to know is inside that karate school is a mixture of all different sorts of people, doctors, lawyers, plumbers. Uh, morticians I mean uh, carpenters every every walk of life there there are individuals in that karate school so you're not entering a situation where uh, you're going to be able to identify with someone in that school and I think you'll find out they're just individuals that are wanting to learn how to defend themselves wanting to get in shape a variety of different reasons some of them are in it because they really want to progress up the ranks and uh, maybe do something professionally but i think that comes really a little bit further down the road after a person has reached at least their brown belt level but there are a variety of individuals ethnic races uh, all all groups all kinds of people and i think you'll find those barriers really come down inside a karate dojo and everybody's focused on the same thing they're wanting to learn the forms the one steps the learn how to fight learn how to defend themselves and that's really what it boils down to yeah that is true Uh, and you know not nowadays uh at karate schools nowadays uh, kickboxing and boxing places there seems to be a lot of people that are coming in that are trying to find some sort of social activity so they connect with people and uh that is true about the biggest variety and uh sometimes i have kind of a turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to people when their soul um, objective is just to be social instead of the actual training because that training is kind of tough and there are some liability risk involved so it's kind of uh, good to try to screen some of your clients to make sure you get the right people there because this isn't the same world that it used to be many many years ago nowadays uh, there's a lot more of a logistic nightmare involved with if you don't have the right kind of people in class they shouldn't be there in the first place but it's funny that when people do show up and they do get there and they start conforming to the class instead of the class conforming to them Everybody winds up in the same place with ability, with interest, with dedication, and uh, results. Well, I think, you know, everybody's going to progress at a different rate. So it's not like you're going to start out with a class and someone's going to get get ahead of you and you're going to be behind. You're going to have individuals uh, starting in beginner classes. Some are, are very new beginners. Some have been there for a while. Some will progress faster than others, depending on how many times a week they work out, depending on their abilities. I've seen some students that uh, making their green or blue belt when someone else made their brown belt, it was just as hard for them to achieve the green belt as it was the other person to achieve the brown belt because they had to work harder. Their muscles were tighter. They were older. They couldn't work out as, as often. So, you know, it's kind of a, in a way, it's kind of a self-paced uh, program. Uh, where you 
you pace yourself, you work out when you can, and you progress. You have to work out at least two or three times a week to progress. You can't just come in once a week. But, you know, there's no pressure on you to make a certain rank in a certain period of time. You, uh, d- depending on your own abilities, you'll, you'll move up through the ranks just depending on how much effort you have to put into it uh, time-wise and, and physical-wise. Right. Well, I can remember also you met your wife in karate. So speaking of social activity, it was kind of good to you, wasn't it? Well, actually, yes, it was very good to me. <laughs> she was actually a reporter with the Grapevine Daily News and called up and was doing a story on karate and wanted to actually enroll in karate to do the story on it rather than just an interview process. So she came to the Hillcrest School, signed up. We started dating not too long after she became a student. Uh, unfortunately, her karate went downhill, but uh, we wound up getting married, been married for 36 years now with three children. So karate's been very good to me. Very, very good to you. Yeah, that's really something. I know Sharon, she's really a fine human being. She's, she was a good student. I think when I was there, she was an orange belt. I don't know if she got any rank after that, did she? No, she kind of ended at orange belt. Okay. Well, you know, the dropout level is usually orange, green belt, and then there's another dropout level at brown belt before people get ready to go for black because uh, getting your black belt, it's a commitment. It's uh, The exam is extremely tough and very difficult, and you have to be real dedicated. It's not for the uh, fly-by-night type participant as far as going through belt rank and getting in the upper belts. Well, you know, it's it's interesting about uh, your, the goal you set. I know uh, not only have I taught professionally in karate, but I manage schools as well. And individuals would come in and talk about wanting to be a black belt. And what I would always tell them is to set their goal at brown belt. And once they reach brown belt, then set their goal at black belt. It's interesting about individuals. If you set a goal so high that after you've been working out for a year, you can't see yourself achieving that goal, you lose interest. And I've always uh, told everyone, you know, set your goal at making brown belt, first degree brown belt, and then then move your goal up to black belt so that you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, which you can see at brown belt. You, you go to green, you go to blue, and then you're in the four degrees of brown. So you can see yourself achieving that and then once you're in the brown belt then you can start saying okay i'm gonna set my sights on the black belt i know when i decided to train for black belt i quit my regular job so i could do nothing but train and uh was helping run the school to make extra money i was living with my brother uh to help help as far as a place to live but i i felt like I couldn't do my regular job to make black belt, but I was kind of in a, I don't know, I was fanatic about it, I guess you'd say. <laughs> well, that was because your brother, he was intense. I mean, I can remember when I first started taking karate, uh, and I was, I guess it was an orange belt when I met you over at uh, Hillcrest Texas Karate Institute or Garland Road, but I can remember you getting upset. I can remember watching your lips starting to quiver when you were yelling or talking at some of the students, and I went, man, that's intense. And then I started remembering, well, he came from Vietnam. His brother came from Vietnam. Skipper Mullins came from Vietnam. And I started thinking about all these black belts, you know, they got our brown belts. They all were in Vietnam and ex-veterans. And I said, intense is not the word. If there's another word higher or stronger than that, I got to find it because these guys are definitely it. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I never will forget uh, the very first tournament I fought in. I had been in karate for about a month. I just made my orange belt. 
and we was uh, having an inter-school tournament over in Oak Cliff. And uh, it was at a mall over there. And I know I, I got over there. I was fighting in the orange belt division. And my brother come up to me and he says, well, we don't have a green belt, so you're going to fight in the green belt <laughs> division also. And I, so I said, okay. And so after the tournament was over, I thought, you know, this is a lot – a lot of fun getting hit. I bet it's even more fun to hit somebody. So I decided to stay in there so I could find out what the other half felt like. I remember Ed Daniels had this uh, orange belt by the name of Robert, Robert Robertson, and he was the first guy I fought in a tournament. I'd been in karate for about three months. I got smoked. Back then it was a three-point spread, and you were done. I think it lasted 30 seconds, three points spread, and I was toast. And then, but but the good thing about that is after the tournament, I came back. I said, you know, this wasn't actually a, really a fight. There's a lot of strategy involved. It's kind of like a game of tag. All you have to do is score a point, and so you have to be able to uh, score points without getting scored on. So I need. I started focusing on that, and I said, this is my new sport. And I was playing baseball. I was in track. I'd played football, and I just quit everything at that point. And I said, this is what I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be dedicated to this 100. percent you know, I think another thing for, you know, any parents that might be uh, listening to the program, I know for several years I taught karate at a private school, Lake Hill Preparatory School in Dallas. And I know a lot of the students that I had in there, some of them were discipline problems, and and uh, but some of them were very bright as well. But all of them, their grades improved because of the discipline. You know, if you enroll in a karate school that, that has strong discipline, teaches the tenets of karate, uh, then that per- that's going to be a better person, uh, and they're going to be more studious. They're going to apply that discipline in every walk of life. And I think, I think that's the biggest benefit about karate is, is how it instills character, respect, and discipline, uh, all the things that, that I- any parent wants their kids to achieve is just being a better person overall and and that's really uh what karate is about it's not about being bullish or being able to fight better than someone else it's about the discipline and respect that you learn well you know that's true because uh when you know like when i just had this bout with cancer the first thing that came to my mind was like well how tough is can this be i said i can remember fighting all these guys in martial arts that were world-class fighters great black belts nationally ranked you know, number one in the state of Texas. And I said, you know, that was tough. And so, you know, part of what you were talking about, about character building, it's like, it's not what you can do, it's what you can take. And in martial arts, it's like you learn how to take a lot. You know, in other words, not you're not going to have a great day every day. You can't walk in every day in the school and just think, hey, I'm going to be the best there is today. Nobody's going to touch me. I'm going to be a winner. You know, when I fight, I'm just going to rule everybody. That's just not real life. Because real life is some days you have a bad day, you walk in there, you get pounded on pretty good, or you just, you're not into it that day. And you're just like, you know, you're other people's hamburger for a day. And, uh, and so that was one of the things that taught me was how to be resilient, how to be dedicated, how to keep coming back, because you don't win all the time at everything. Sometimes you lose. What do you think about uh, nowadays all these martial arts schools not taking their students to tournaments versus how we came up where everybody was required to spar and fight in tournaments? Well, I've got a couple of disappointments about uh, tournaments and, and about students fighting in tournaments. I know it was a requirement when I came up through the ranks. The, the, the thing that's important about tournaments is, number one, it, it also builds character, meeting other students from other schools, other states, that sort of thing. But the main thing is it gives you an opportunity to test your skills 
against other types of other styles of karate not just taekwondo but uh kempo all different styles of karate fighting these tournaments so it gives you a chance to show your skills and really learn how to fight someone that you haven't fought before i mean you could fight in school seven days a week and you wouldn't learn as much from all of those fights in six months that you'd learn from one tournament fighting uh, students from different schools so i think that's very important one thing that disappoints me i know i saw some video of a tournament uh, last year and i saw uh, instructors and teachers that were judging those uh, tournaments wearing cutoffs and t-shirts and it really saddened me to see that uh, that some of the schools that are hosting tournaments are losing part of the whole ideal of karate of of discipline and being uniform and everybody uh, respecting I don't see how you could go to a tournament and someone judging that fight wearing cutoffs and a t-shirt how could you respect that person as a karate professional I think I think every uh, school in the nation should be looking at at making sure that those judges are properly attired in karate uniforms or in coat and ties if there's if they're corner judges in the finals and that it really saddens me to see that it's being reduced down to something so casual as a as tennis shoes and shorts well a lot of the tournaments now are just income sources for people that own karate schools in other words it's like you bring all your students to my tournament and i'll bring all my students to your tournament and they've forgotten about you know the bigger better deals like what's in it for the student besides the trophy is there uh is 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 it going to be covered by the press is it going to be in a magazine is it going to be in the newspaper is your local television station going to come by somehow some way uh some of the promoters and uh the various uh different sanctions in karate have forgotten about how do they promote their students to have some of the same experiences that they had that's one thing i liked about alistine and the u.s championships a long time ago you had wild world of sports you had all the karate magazines black belt magazine uh karate illustrated you know my instructors were in those magazines i mean it was amazing you know about the coverage and everything else that was going on then versus now well you know you think about it what kind of army would you have if the general showed up in a hawaiian cutoff shirt and uh cut off blue jeans it wouldn't and, it wouldn't be very disciplined well and that that's the whole thing i mean the whole purpose of, of karate is to instill discipline and respect and when you reduce it down to casual dress, uh, I think you're you're reducing the whole image of karate. And anybody watching those tournaments, I think I don't think they would have the same respect uh, that they would have if if those individuals were wearing either geese or or coat and tie. Well, that's one of the things that I liked about Roy Kerbin's sanction, um, the traditional karate league. Uh, all the all the black belts had to wear black geese. All the students had to wear white geese pretty much they filter everybody that's going to be uh, fighting in the tournament to make sure there's no bad element in the tournament you know like people that are ripping off equipment or breaking into cars and you know in other words keeping everybody on the same page with respect and behavior and trying to keep the quality up also doing only traditional katas and not doing all this musical stuff and all this made-up stuff with 50 key eyes and you know and all the jumping and rounding and all that stuff. That's one of the things that I liked about the TKL. It was the traditional karate league. It was a great league. 
Well, you know, I think one thing it's it's kind of a American Americans have a way of Americanizing everything, and it it seems like the the martial arts is is just being reduced down in its uh, professionalism. I don't think you'll see any professional group, police departments, military. Uh, they all wear uniforms for a reason. They all dress professionally for a reason because number one, they want to be perceived as professional. Number two. Uh, they want to be professional, and I think that's the same way uh, with karate. I think all those students that are fighting and coming to a tournament, uh, I think they deserve those instructors and those uh, the black belts to not only be professional but to look professional. And you can't do it wearing cutoffs and a T-shirt. Uh, that's worse than that, cowboy hats with uh, tennis shoe cowboy boots and the geese and no, I agree with you 100%. There's been a lot of stuff. And you know, and it's a good point that you made about Americanized. It's kind of like nowadays everybody says, like it, it on a social level, uh, you go out and about, you know, in the bar scene or the party circuit or whatever, and you talk to these people, they'll be talking about somebody you've never heard of in karate that's supposed to be such a phenom and nobody's ever heard of them and, uh, because they never fought in tournaments. And so it's kind of like, you know, I know who's good because I watched them fight or I fought them. Or, you know, or I know their instructor or I know their students. And it's to me, it's not a mystery. It's amazing to me how John P. Public out there can just swallow a bunch of baloney as easily as they can when they're talking about somebody nobody knows anything about. And, I mean, between me and you, we have, a, what, about 80 years of karate in us or something like that? It seems like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've been here for 40, so you've been at, what, 44? I started in 71, yes. Okay, okay I started in 72. So I guess you started a year before I did. Um, but, you know, you were a great fighter, Dennis. You had the hardest reverse punch. And as a matter of fact, my fighting style was probably more copied behind you than it was anybody else as far as the way I fight came from you and Ronnie and later on Demetrius Savannah, a little bit of Skipper Mullins and uh, Keith Yates and some of the other instructors later on, Roy Kerbin. But we were very fortunate to come up around some of the some of the most fantastic martial artists in the history of karate right here in the Dallas area. What happened? I mean, I, I don't hear of that many great martial artists coming out of Dallas anymore. Well, I, I think part of it is, uh, is the professionalism and, the, you know, the intense training. I don't think the, the training is as tough anymore. I know the fighting is not. Uh, you know, I, I uh, had the privilege of watching some exams not too long ago, and even the individuals going up for black belt, you know, their punches look more like uh, – blue belts and they they weren't focused they weren't uh getting the body uh involved in punching they weren't uh throwing the kicks hard they the, the focus was off and i i don't know i did, i think uh a lot of schools are losing focus of of really what they should be teaching and they should be teaching perfection uh and the only way you can do that is demand the best out of everyone the best that they have to give and uh, I, I think we're losing that, and I think part of it's like you said. I think part of it is, is you know, they're just interested in how many students can they sign up, and uh, and the money aspect. Now, obviously, the money's important. You have to make a living, but uh, I don't think you make a living by reducing the the quality of the product. I think you make a living by keeping the quality of the product high. Amen on that, brother. I could repeat that a thousand times, which I've already had on other radio shows in martial arts, martial arts masters of Texas with Steve Pender. He's the guy that got me started on this. And I appreciate it, Steve. If you're listening to me out there, 
You know, that is a fact. It's like uh, my big joke out there right now that I try to say about uh, karate is uh, it's kind of sad that, you know, a student and their family comes up and drops off their child or they come in and work out themselves and the car that the instructor is driving is about twice as expensive as the car that the student is driving. And it's kind of like they've lost sight of what they're doing. Is this like a, a McDonald's uh, McBelt factory or is it actual a place where people can actually learn how to defend themselves and uh, actually get belt ranking, test their belt ranking in tournaments and uh, find out what they have against other schools versus just the people that are in their karate school and they never let them out. They never let them venture out. They never let them go compete in tournaments. I don't know what happened to that whole thing about the money thing, but somehow it's just really, and some of these guys are great fighters. Some of the people that were world champion fighters in kickboxing, uh, also in karate, United States champions, and you don't ever see their tournaments. That hurts my students. Well, you know, I was think, uh, thinking back of uh, talking about the product that different people uh, produce. I know uh, I've seen times when I was running the school and, and teaching professionally, I would have someone come in from another karate school. Maybe they moved from California or some other state, and they walk in, and they say, well, I, I've trained in California. I was a black belt. And our policy uh, when I was running the school okay uh come in and work out a few times let me observe you because if they're wearing a black belt in that in that class all the students think that they're black belt quality and i would always have them work out and see what their abilities were because lots of times you'd find individuals and it's not their fault uh, they trained with someone that just simply uh didn't have the same standards that we had and and maybe where they were training at a black belt there was good but in texas it wouldn't cut the mustard and even they would realize it and say well, you know hey i think maybe i should start out as a as a green belt oh yeah uh, and and it's not their fault but you know you can always you can always judge someone by the quality of the of the person that taught them and uh i think all the instructors need to realize that uh when they're teaching students and they're promoting them that that student's going to be representing them down the road. So if they promote them and they shouldn't be promoted, they're not going to be well represented. And, I, and I've always felt like my brother and myself and the, the people that I've trained with, when we promoted somebody, we knew that, that down the road they was going to be representing us the way we would want to be represented. So it's not just their own uh, self that, that we're concerned about. It's your own reputation as well because – you send your reputation out the door with that student. Well, that's a fact. Well, I hope I haven't disappointed you. I have some, I think, some fairly good students and have been for about 20 years now. <clears throat> but uh, like I said, I'm always interested in picking up new students and making new people to represent the martial arts just like you did for me and you have for several other people. Well, I'll tell you what, Dennis, we're going to take a little break right now, and uh, I appreciate you having, having uh, you on the show, and I know we're going to do another show also, so... Uh, is there anything else you might want to say to everybody out there or say hi to anybody or anything? No, I think that's it, Jeff. And, and uh, I came over and taught classes uh, when you was recovering. And uh, I've, I've been there when you taught classes. And I, w I will say this. Uh, of course, you've combined martial arts with boxing and kickboxing. But I will say that anybody that works out for any length of time in your class uh, they're going to get in shape even if they don't want to That's if true. they work out. That's true. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming by, Dennis. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll stay in touch, and we'll get back on the show, okay? Thank you for having me, Jeff.
Whitecollarboxing.com, first in fight fitness. Been in business for 20 years, offer boxing, kickboxing, and karate. The original CrossFit training program. We stretch like you do in yoga. We hit the heavy bags like you do in boxing and kickboxing. Uh, We do kata, and we also compete in tournaments, so we have people that are just working out for fitness only. Go check out our website at whitecollarboxing.com or call 972-851-5656. What's up, my man? Howdy. How you doing, Jeff? Doing pretty good. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. I play drums for Toe the Line. My name is Darren Doyle. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what year I was born. <laughs> <laughs> I, I come from Michigan originally, moved to Texas in 1981, been here ever since. Awesome. Y'all play some good music, man. Let's listen to a couple soundtracks, all right? Thank you much, sir. All right, bye-bye. Bye. That was Toe the Line. 
anybody that knows any bands out there that wants to get their music played, have them get a hold of me. This is Jeff from WTFRadio.me. Looking for local bands and talents and unsigned music to play on the radio.
Our next artist we have coming up here is Craig Allen McWhorter, who currently lives in New York City. He's a native of Dallas, Texas. He grew up here, took karate. He's a fine martial artist and a great recording artist, composer, writer, and singer. Listen to Craig. He's awesome. his clothes and his belongings Puts them on the front porch once again Prepares the words she plans on saying She's gonna end it all when he pulls in Cause she's had enough of what he calls a marriage She's dreamed of more than what she wakes up to And she's fantasized about her horse and carriage But a one-trick pony's all she ever knew And she can count the memories on her left hand Seems her life revolves around two words Oh, but all she ever wanted was a good man She waits for him to change, he never does But she can't miss the way he never He takes the left off of the highway Pulls to the shoulder just to cry Takes one more breath before deciding If he should go on home or say goodbye Cause he wrestles with the demons that defeat him and he watches as they line up one by one And the tears keep falling down as they beat him Will he still be standing when they're done? Cause he can count the memories on his left hand Seems his life revolves around two words Oh, but all he wanted was to be a good man He waits for her to see it, she never does But he can't miss the way she never was So on and on They'll keep on believing Someday soon it's gonna change And even though They'll make the beds they sleep in day by day That's how it stays They can count the memories on their left hand Seems their life revolves around two words 
Oh, but they'll just keep on dreaming like they have been. Wait for time to stop. It never does. They can't miss the way it never was. This is a local boy, Jerry Odney. Never say never. It's a damn good song. Told him she'd Sing mine. one, Jerry. He said no way and gave me a grin. He said she'd have to be blind. She flipped her hair and breathed on by, trailing her perfume. We both fell out. He said, "Man, you're dreaming." I said, "I." I hope it comes true soon But never say never Cause you never know Sometimes you just gotta believe If you want love to grow When true love's in your heart Let it show But never say never Cause you never know I finally met her through a friend of a friend And turned on the charm I said, let's get together I'll hold you forever In my true loving arms She said, hold on, I ain't blind I've been burned They get what they want and then they walk out the door But never say never Cause you never know Sometimes you just gotta believe If you want love to grow When true love's in your heart Let it show Say never Cause you never know I could have folded Given up Left my dreams in the dust I worked hard For two long years And finally won her trust When we got married that same old buddy stood at my best man As we walked down the aisle, I nudged him again And said, you can if you believe you can But never say never Cause you never know Sometimes you just gotta believe If you want love to grow True love's in your heart And let it show But never say never Cause you never know And never say never 
guys you never know This next entertainer is Alexis Lucader. So delicious. When you strip by my radar knows why you caught my eye, got me specified. I try to speak, but I got a meek. My knees grew weak when you crossed that street. That's my way. My mind turns to clay. He whispers, Hey, babe, let's run away. He ain't dirty, but he ain't too
It ain't perfect, but I ain't done yet. This is Jeff Overturf with WTFRadio.me. That concludes our first show. I hope you guys liked it. There will be many more coming. I'll be airing this show again on Thursday night at 9.30 and also on 9.30 on Saturday morning. Tune in and get your friends to listen to it. Thank you very much.